that will last four or five weeks uh, over the topic of community. Uh, and so the sermon series title is Deep Community in a Shallow World. Uh, we're a small, growing little church here in Sugarland, and one of the things that we kind of feel called by God to be is a, a deep church. Um, in the sense that we value asking harder questions, we tend to value looking kind of more deeply at the scriptures and exploring things that um, might be uncomfortable or looking at things in a new way. Um, and so uh, with that comes other core values, things that we we would do even if it started to hurt us business-wise. Um, so in the corporate world, right? Things you would do even if it was no longer for your advantage. Um, things that are intrinsic to us. We would stop doing this as an organization. Um, we would stop being an organization if we stopped doing this. There'd be no joy in us. Um, one of those things is community. Uh, and everyone who's been at FCQ, been a part of it, some of us for the last six years, some of us um, in the last year, two, three years, uh, and everyone who's been here and left, uh, moved, uh, got a job transfer or whatnot, I've always mentioned community in their top two things of, of what they enjoy about FCQ, First Line Christian Church. This kind of family-like feel uh, that the church seems to have. We're helped because we're a small church, okay? So we've got that on our side um, for the sense of fostering community. But hopefully you might be aware you can have a small church and still have no community in that church um, and have lots of division and strife and be very exclusive to the world outside. Um, and one of our goals in the past six months leading into the summer has been to, as we continue to grow and, and continue to get to kind of a new stage in our life um, with all the people who, who join our community, is to rethink through community and whether we're offering or we're creating the right environments for community, um, for everybody uh, who... who would walk into the door on a Sunday morning. Um, and so we're going to use this sermon series as a chance to look through the scriptures and, and see what the scriptures have to say about community. Um, for our purposes, I'm defining community uh, in the sense of having a, a space or place where you can make a significant connection with another person or other people um, and then develop this feeling of belongingness. I belong here. I belong with these people. Um, and what I've learned, most of you know, I'm kind of tilted toward the academic side of things uh, as a professor. Uh, I've been reading, of course, sociologists and psychologists and theologians. And what I learned very quickly was community is not a simple thing. Um, there's a whole field of science into what it means to feel like you belong somewhere and why you belong somewhere and what are the unwritten spoken rules uh, that people and groups um, structure around themselves even um, in just uh, nonverbal ways. And so we'll explore some of those concepts uh, throughout the series. You know, one of the things I, I, I saw that we'll talk about one Sunday is uh, very interesting. You don't get to choose who belongs to you. I think we probably all had this experience where somebody we learned says something about our nature of relationship, like they're my best friend or something like that, and we were like, oh, I did not, oh, I wasn't aware, <laughs> right? And it's like, oh, you don't have to ask permission to belong. Um, permission uh, is not required to, for you to feel a, a personal sense of belonging and that you've made a significant connection to the church. Um, we have a couple in our first service who, who have come on and off probably two times 
uh, every six months or so for years now. And if someone had attended our first service and seen them twice, you know, in, in six, eight months, it would have drawn the conclusion. Most consultants, church consultants, would draw the conclusion they don't belong at FCQ. They have not found a significant connection to the church, right? Um, they've come twice. Um, I mean, they're not coming a lot of times. Um, but if you look deeper, right, they live in Austin. Uh, they come to FCQ every time that they can afford or have the time to drive back on a weekend. And just not long ago, uh, they, had a, they had a son a few years ago, and they would not have him dedicated in their church in Austin. They, they wanted him dedicated to FCQ. It felt like their church home. Uh, and so we finally got a date that worked for them to come down and for some family to show up. And we get here on uh, Sunday morning, and they've flown in like 20 people from all over the United States, um, from Chicago, New York, and California. And, and I was kind of blown away, right? If we were going to build any type of like what it means to belong at FCQ, it would probably say something to the effect somewhere of, you know, maybe more than two times half a year, right? We'd like to see you around a little bit more often. Um, but we don't get to choose. It was very clear that morning how much the church meant to them, even without having more of a personal um, time commitment type of belonging. They belong significantly. Uh, and in fact, I'm not sure I've ever seen someone fly out that many people from all over um, different states um, to fill up half of our church for the, the baby dedication. So it's clear, right? Maybe we didn't think they belonged, or maybe they wouldn't have met certain rules if they were drawn up. You don't need to choose things like that. And so that's a significant thing. Um, and then, likewise, you also don't have to ask permission to belong to somebody. Uh, just recently as the church, we heard about a, 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 a single mother in trouble, struggling, um, through a mutual friend of one of our elders. So not a tight connection at all. She's never heard of the church, doesn't know we exist. Uh, and, and she was struggling, and just kind of the generous hearts that we have here, and our leadership has, and our people have, we were like, hey, let's provide for her. And so um, after providing for a couple of things, we found out you know, she didn't have a car. She was maybe going to lose her only way to provide for her children as a single mom. So we said, why don't we buy her a car? That's easy enough, right? Uh, and so we raised money for a couple of months. And just recently, this week, we bought her her car. And so I um, want to let you know that one so you can celebrate with us and, and know that your um, gifts have come to fruition and blessing uh, this woman. Um, and we've got some pictures we'll share uh, of her uh, receiving her gift and, and those kinds of things. Um, but notice in this situation, right, she would have never thought she belonged to us. We, though, said you belong to us. We've heard that you're in need. We get, we don't really have a relationship here. But because we like meeting needs, we're going to include you in our sense of belonging and take care of you like we take care of one of us. So belonging community is a very complex thing. It's a very multifaceted thing. Um, and so we'll walk through those things in the next couple of weeks. I'll invite you to do that with me. This morning, though, I, I just want to look at three reasons why community is so valuable especially for Christians. Um, there's, no, um, there's, no, there's no way you strive hard enough to really get the type of community that you, you want, unless you understand why it's so important. 
right? Unless you understand um, that it's kind of a decision uh, that if you don't make, there are high consequences for as a church and as individuals. And so um, if you remember from Hebrews chapter 10, um, from very early on in the Christian church, um, they were worried that believers would stop being together in relationship. So in the first century, uh, the author of Hebrews says, stop um, I, I, I'm, I'm urging you to still meet together and stop not meeting together as is the habit of some, apparently. Um, they were being persecuted. It's probably safer to stay home. And he was like, please, please, please. You have to do this together. Um, go underground. Find somewhere safer. But don't stop building these relationships with one another. In the third century, St. Cyprian um, coined an axiom of Christian doctrine that has been accepted um, throughout all of history, um, even up until today, except by maybe a few Protestant denominations. The Catholics affirm it, the Eastern Orthodox Church affirms it, most Protestant churches affirm it, um, although it's still widely misunderstood. He coined this phrase, and people have just repeated it ever since. This before the Bible's written, this just expresses from the very beginning how important community was to them. He said, there's no salvation outside of the church. Which is a bold statement about the church. Right? That gives a whole lot of power and kind of responsibility to the church. There's no salvation outside the church. Um, and people I've come in, in contact with and had a conversation with I normally hear this from Catholics. There's not a lot of Eastern Orthodox churches around us. And they hear it as very exclusive. And they hear it as Catholics saying, there's no salvation outside of our church. Um, Catholics actually in 1997... Um, came out once again with a statement saying, this is not what we mean by this. You can indeed be saved outside of the Catholic Church, and you can even indeed be saved outside of relationship with other people. It would just be extraordinary. It would be unusual. But God's in the business of doing unusual and extraordinary things. Um, the power of the statement is the tautology, um, the connection between salvation and church. Um, salvation is church. There's no salvation outside the church because they're... in intrinsically connected. Um, to be a Christian is to be baptized and be brought into a new humanity. There's only two families that um, you don't get to choose in your life um, if you're a Christian. Everyone doesn't get to choose their own family. You're born into that sucker. <laughs> Whether you like it or not, for good or for bad, you don't get to choose your parents, you don't get to choose your siblings, you choose who they marry, don't marry, those kind of things. But for Christians, there's another family at a certain point in their life they're born into. They don't get to choose. For good or for bad. Even if there's some messy people out there. Even if there's some embarrassing people out there. You're born into the body of Christ. The children of God. God's people. And you're united in Christ with all of the body. And then encouraged to... Form relationships locally with other believers in order to stir you up for faith and, and, and love and continuing in good works. Um, and so community has always been an invaluable um, invaluable uh, aspect of living out the Christian faith um, throughout history. Uh, and, and, and we try to take that up again here at, at FC Cube. And so, um, again, what I want to do is just show you three reasons why it's so invaluable from the scriptures. Um, and so we'll take you to three different places in the Bible. Um, so if you get your flipping hands ready. Um, I'm very rarely, uh, most of you know this, this type A, right? There's three places we're going to go, and there's three reasons. 
Um, so it's your lucky Sunday if you like that. If you don't, um, you email all complaints to West Pogue, W-P-O-G-U-E at FCQ. Um, so the first reason is, is Christians value community because of who their God is. Christians value community because of who their God is. Uh, so flip with me to Genesis chapter 1, right at the very beginning of our Bibles. In the creation story, Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, that's creating the whole world. And we're told this about humanity, as God creates humankind. God created man in his own image. The word man there is, is neutral, it means mankind, humanity, all of us. He created male, female, humans in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Um, so notice that even in his creation of human beings, there's unity and diversity. There's male and female, and yet there's mankind. There's humanity. Um, there's unity and diversity. And it seemingly seems to be the case that, biblically speaking, the definition of a human being is one who bears God's image. Who somehow looks or resembles or acts like God. Um, we often use the language of humanity or the title of a human being lightly. Uh, and, and I think wrongly. We turn it upside down. And so we'll make a mistake or, or develop a bad habit. And, and we'll kind of explain it away as, you know, well, we're just humans. And, and strictly biblically speaking, right, that's actually the opposite truth in this situation. Um, anything that takes you further away from reflecting what God's like and what His purpose is like for your life is less human. Um, the problem is not that you're just being human. The problem is you're being less than human. Um, to be human is to be closer and closer to bearing His image. It's a, it's a title of dignity, not one of, of um, uh, weakness uh, and one of, of powerlessness. Um, that's why we often say things are inhumane, right? This is something that's now no longer going to be called a human being or human action. Um, there are people who get so far away from what God is like that, that we start even intrinsically using his language. Like, I'm not, I'm not sure if there's a human inside there. It seems like just cold and dead. Uh, in the serial killer, maybe. Uh, or in the acts of a nation or person. You, you might think that's just inhumane. Um, that's just not belonging to the nature of humanity. And Christianity affirms this and says, yes, because to be a human is a pretty big job. It's a pretty big role. You're bearing God's image. Um, and there's lots of ways people have tried to understand what it means to bear God's image. Does it mean we get to make decisions like God makes decisions? Does it mean we have free will? Does it mean we can love one another? Does it mean we can co-create? Um, those types of things. But as Christians, what we've learned before we were God's children as human beings, we were created children, God, God the Father, already had a son before any of this happened. He was not created as a son, he was begotten. He's actually one with the Father. And this takes us into a very new concept of God, where God's not one static being, but also God is Father and Son. There's a relationship inside God. There's a community inside God. And then we continue to learn of the Holy Spirit. And we come to this conclusion as Christians and confess we believe that God is Father, Son, and Spirit. Um, there's unity in diversity. There's three persons who love each other perfectly and have perfect harmony and, and community with one another. 
And, and most Christian theologians have not been hesitant to say God itself can be described as community. God is community. It's perfect community, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so perhaps what it means to be made in God's image is to be made in such a way that life and, and human flourishing is only going to be found when diverse parts come together and function in mutual love and self-service and self-sacrifice. Um, and so with man and woman in the beginning, they were meant, again, as distinct persons to become one and also to be one with God. And in that environment, they would flourish and find all the physical and spiritual and emotional um, well-being and wholeness that, that they could ever desire. Um, perhaps being a, a human or the image bearer is not someone who's has every of the best qualities. They're tall, they're fast, they're smart, they're sensitive, um, they're athletic, um, they're gentle, all of those things. Um, perhaps being in the image of God is being a community where everyone brings their strengths together uh, and encourages one another. And in that light, we flourish. Indeed, I, I, I think this is the case. To be made in the image of God is to be made in the image of one who lives in community. And what this means for human beings is that what we deeply desire, most deeply, which is flourishment, the blossoming of our lives, on all levels, physical, spiritual, emotional, you name it, is only found when we live in relationship. Relationship where we bring diverse parts together but function as one. So we value community because we're human beings. And as Christians, the, the scriptures speak of us as, as made in the image of a triune God. And we know that the Father and Son and Spirit cease to be who they are outside of their relationships to each other. The Son has no life outside of the Father. Um, and we go, wow, this is, this is where our flourishment can happen. Um, all levels of human flourishing are good, and, and, and none should be excluded. Um, but particularly in the church, obviously we, we kind of emphasize the spiritual wholeness, right? Um, the mistake that many churches have made, and it's kind of at least being acknowledged and corrected in some places, is trying to overemphasize another type of human flourishing. And, for instance, you've got the entertainment church, right, that tries to put on a better concert for you. Um, that tries to get a more powerful speaker than you can hear on the radio or on a podcast. Um, that tries to throw as many Xboxes and virtual reality games into the kids' room to entertain them, right? The problem here is, is that's a losing battle. There are big companies spending lots of money with their whole purpose of entertaining adults and children. And the church is not going to be able to compete there. Um, we don't get people here on Sunday morning because this is the most entertaining thing they can find to do on a Sunday morning. I can think of a lot more entertaining things to do. Um, I have a, a high school youth group. We meet Wednesdays. Um, you know, 8 to 12 high schoolers come and, and cram my office and, and we do Bible study. And they don't become because I'm the most entertaining thing they can do that night. I mean, I'm cute and I'm funny, but I'm, I'm not as funny as Kevin Hart, right? I don't have the production value as these big Hollywood movies. They can be more entertained that night. 
Um, and we're not, right? We don't have a segment on the physical wholeness of humanity. We'll never be CrossFit. We'll never, we'll never be Weight Watchers, right? We can incorporate that, but we can't compete with that. But what Christianity has that no one else has is this, that spiritual wholeness. And this is what the church needs to, to stake its ground on and say, you can go and get entertained anywhere. And you can find flourishing elsewhere. And we'll encourage that and we'll try to shape that and help you. All those levels of wholeness are, are good and needed. But only in the church can you find the word of God and people willing to discuss it and wrestle with doubts and ask hard questions and live life together. Um, those kinds of things. Um, the, the church has to stake its ground, um, not in competition with the world, but with its distinction from the world. Um, we're the place where you can go, the people who you can talk to when it comes to faith and spiritual issues and your relationship with God and others in a spiritual sense. Um, so we value relationships and community because of God. Second, we value them because they uniquely help us experience the love of God. They uniquely help us experience the love of God. If you would, flip with me to 1 Corinthians 3.16. We've been here a while. We've, we've been through this passage a handful of times over and over again. 1 Corinthians 3.16. We value community because it offers us a unique way to experience the love of God. And what I mean by that is that while I think you can experience God's love in a relationship with Him, um, outside of the context of Christian community and whatever whatever depth that is, um, I think there are certain things you can only find in the Christian community and certain aspects of God's love that you really only truly understand um, when it's acted out and, and when you experience it by God's people. Um, and the scriptures, I think, confirm this over and over again. Um, so let me get to First Corinthians here. First Corinthians 3, um, verse 16. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. All right. Moses, you should know this, that you, we should just say, y'all. This is in Greek plural. We don't have a proper second person pronoun in English, which is why different regions come up with their own. Y'all, you guys. Is. Um, y'all actually is it's linguistically kind of taking over. It's moving north and, and becoming, I think, um, finally seen as the rightful king of <laughs> the English second person plural noun, pronoun. Um, these are, 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 are plural. Do you not know that you all, he's talking to a church, you all are God's temple. God's spirit dwells in you all. Um, we read this naturally with that singular you, um, where we default to that, and we think God has lots of temples running around. In the Greek, there's one temple and many people that comprise that temple. It's not a building or an institution or organization. It's the people of Christ. There where God has chosen to dwell on earth among men. There where God's spirit is present and active. Not to say that God's spirit is not present and active outside of the church. It is. But there's something unique that happens in Christian community. Um, there's something powerful about it um, that you, you can't find anywhere else. Um, I think one of the reasons maybe I was called into the pastor at a young age is because God knew that on my own I probably would try to be a Lone Ranger Christian. 
I have a, 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 a tendency to question things and to, to, to be, play devil's advocate and to try to look at things in new ways. Um, and I'm an introvert. So I, I most likely on my own, if I had the choice, would have damned most of the church that I'd known, right? That I'd experienced and gone and done it on myself or with one or two like-minded friends. Instead, I've been forced to come every Sunday. <laughs> and it's been the biggest blessing I've ever gotten in my life. Living in community with people, walking through things, experiencing things with them, going through tough things with them, has shown me and made me experience God's love in a way I never would have imagined. And in a way that I can't imagine I would have accomplished without constantly forcing myself to bump up against other believers who don't think like me and who, who, who don't always see my jokes as funny and sometimes they're insulting who don't always share the same interests that I have who don't always root for the same teams that I root for um, but in the Christian community we're called to, to um, experience I think a unique action of God that you don't find anywhere else in and, and really, you know, I can, I can just say from experience and from the experience of others, um, you've got to talk to someone who's stayed in the same place for 20, 30 years and see the blessings that they've gotten from that commitment. Um, there's a time and a place for church shopping where you look at the different churches around you and try to pick one to belong um, to, to try to make your community if I was a, a, a father and Lindsay and I were moving to another city, you know, I would very carefully look at the different churches in the area and try to see if I could talk to a pastor and read the statements of faith, those kinds of things. That's a wise thing. Um, but it can easily cross the line into consumerism, needs-based, right? And so I go to this church this month because I like the music. But, you know, I, I'd rather hear good preaching, so I go to this church that month. And you kind of just do a tour circuit around the city. Everyone can expect you four or five months again from now. Um, and that's where you lose the blessing. And it's a fine line. Because there are things you should break fellowship over. If certain things are being taught or certain things are happening in the church. I do think there's a time to say, I'm sorry, but I have to leave. But I do think there's a time when, when you have to dig your heels in the sand. And say, no, I've committed. I'm going to work through this. Where, where when the slightest bit of conflict comes up, you don't run from it and say, okay, I'm breaking off everything. I'm just going somewhere else, starting new. You say, let's see if we can get over this. Just like with your family. You're not going to choose another one, really. You either run away from them, or you see if you can work it out. And it's only in the context, I think, of of doing that for years, that you realize all the blessings that God has for you. Um, personally, uh, and many of us can attest to this, the church family, for me, has been quite literally a second family. Um, there's a group of people, that not because I'm the pastor, I was here as not the pastor, and this is where I first experienced this, who, who will act like they are blood-related to me. If and when I have something wrong, they all drop everything. And say, what can I do? How can I take care of you? And I think it's a testament of so many people here. We've seen money raised. We've seen 
people take off work. Let us move you. Let us give you a place to stay. Let us pay your mortgage. Let us do this. How can we help? Your problem is our problem. Your pain is our pain. And, and you can theoretically understand that God loves you. But you most experience it, I think, when someone transformed by God loves you. And then you go, wow, I think God really can and does love me. Because he's, he's changed the hearts of these people and that they would love me. Um, and then I get an opportunity when other needs arise to be a part of that and share that gift with other people. Community, Christian community, is a, um, a uniquely designed uh, place of belonging where we get to experience God's love. And then the last uh, and third reason why Christians value community is because it uniquely challenges us to walk in God's love. Uh, so last place we'll turn, if you flip with me to 1 John chapter 4. We value community because of who our God is. We value community because it uniquely positions us to experience God's love. And we value community because it uniquely challenges us to walk in God's love. Which kind of builds upon the last thing I was saying, right? About reaching that point of conflict and saying, I'm going to try to get through this. Uh, I'm going to try to see my way out on the other end of this and seek reconciliation. So 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. We'll read 1 John chapter 4, verse, chapter 4, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another. So there's a command. Let us love one another. For love is from God. Whoever loves has been born of God. They know God. Anyone who does not love doesn't know God, because God is love. And this, the love of God, was made manifest among us. Here's how God revealed his love for us. He sent his only Son, the Father sent the Son, into the world, so that through him we might live. The incarnation is God's verdict on his opinion on humanity. He is for us. He is for our life. He sends his son to come and save, not to judge, not to condemn, but to save. In this is love, not that we've loved God or that he loved us, but that he loved us and sent his son to be our sacrifice, the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God has so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us. His love is perfected in us. The Bible is full of these another commands, one another commands. Love one another. Be kind with one another. Be gentle with one another. Be patient with one another. Forgive one another. Even when they're enemies or strangers. Serve one another. Um... These are things you can't do without other people. I mean, you just literally can't love somebody if there's not a somebody there to be loved, right? And, and you can practice these outside of the church community. But I think it's inside of the church where we actually learn how to walk this way. Uh, and so I would maybe describe it as like the church community is like a, a test lab, if you will, before we go out into the world. Um, because if you and I, who claim to have the love of God in us, if we can't find peace among our differences, how could we ever announce good news to the world around us? What message do we have? Yeah, the 30 of us couldn't figure out a way to live together. I'm sorry. 
Maybe we're just all going to bomb ourselves into oblivion. Keep going. But if the church community forgives as kind and seeks reconciliation, then in their actual life together, they serve as a message to the world. Um, we've proven that you can have a community that doesn't kill each other, that forgives each other over and over and over again, loves each other, takes away their needs to meet the needs of other people, looks out for the lowest and, and the most in need. And so when we go to the church, or we go outside the church, we go into the world on Monday through Friday, um, into places outside of, of a community of strict believers, um, one, we've done this, so we're more prepared to do this to others who maybe aren't as committed to the process. Who maybe don't have the love of God or don't feel the need to try to even seek reconciliation. And then two, just our mere existence is a message of good news to the world. It's a testimony. It's a witness. A city on a hill, Jesus calls it. The church is supposed to be the place where the world, while they're killing each other, can look and see that there's a new way of being human. There's new possibilities because of what God has done historically through His Son and has continued to do through His Spirit. And so we, we have no three-step options for the, the world and how to stop killing each other and have world peace. What I can tell them, though, is we've found it in Christ and the Spirit. That's the, that's the alternative. I'm not sure I can solve your problems on your terms. But I can tell you there's an alternative. And we've proven it. I mean, we've tested it out. Just look at how we live. We have our conflicts. We have very different opinions on things. And yet, we stick our feet in the ground. And go, I hate you so much. And I'm going to forgive you. And I'm going to love you. And, and I'm not sure how that works. I don't even know how that... I've never tried to do that in my life. But maybe I've always run away from people uh, that I've had conflict with. And then our older brothers and sisters can help, right? But yeah, that, that person kills kittens with their eyes, but here's how you, you try to forgive them. Here's how you might show an act of love towards them. We figure it out. And then one, we are the message to the world. I mean, how devastating must it be if the people who claim to have God's love perfected in them can't live in harmony with one another? What bad news for us and for the world. That's anti-gospel. Jesus came to bring good news to all people. And we get to witness, bear witness to this good news. There's a way of flourishing as human beings. It's possible to us that now um, is that once it always was not. There's a choice we can make between living this kind of way or stepping into God's kingdom, his realm of living. And so I think, again, the church uniquely challenges us to not run away from conflicts, to act out God's commands, then again, I think the payoff of this is really, this is mission. This is outreach. I mean, you can go pass out as many pamphlets and flyers as you want, but when people see you together, and they see that there's the black section of the church and the white section, 
or the rich section or the poor section or the clicks and the outsiders. I mean, that, that tells them all they need to know. Whatever I'm seeking spiritually, you do not have. But when the love of God is, is truly perfected in us, we might be tempted to say, all right, I'm staying. Now you better stay too. Don't, don't let me get out of this cheap by you running away. Let's, let's reconcile. Let's seek peace. And, and over the past eight, nine years, since I've seen the FCQ. You can think of less than three people that I know who have left the first time they met some kind of conflict. We're human beings um, in a fallen world, so we're fallen human beings, which means we're all sinful to a degree, which means you put us close enough together, we're going to hurt each other, even Christians. I can barely think of two, maybe, individuals who just ran away. But I know so many families and people for whatever reason stuck it in there. So we'll get through this. I don't know how, but you're going to trust God's promises and his commands. And in any other context, I never would have been challenged to try this out, to do this, and then maybe to perfect it before I go into the world trying to claim that I've got some secret sauce. We value community because of who God is. God is community. He's made us to be creatures who find flourishment, who find wholeness in community. We value community because it is a place of belonging where we very uniquely experience God's love. And we value community because it uniquely, again, in a way that we don't find elsewhere, challenges us to walk in out and walk in God's love. With someone who's perhaps not a Christian, you might not be given the opportunity to forgive and seek peace and reconciliation. But when two Christians collide, and they do, they've both got the same command and the same God. And this is where it's, it's really played out to the world. What's happening here? Is this where the Spirit's dwelling? Is this where something new is beginning in our world? Is this where peace and good news and justice and, 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 and a grand story is starting to be played out in, in a scene of history that's just horrific violence? Or is this just another delusional group of people? Community's always been the place where Christians can go. Check it out. We'll put our money where our mouth is. Uh, and so it's the church. It's going to be a place where, where we are always trying to foster it. The thing about community is it's organic. It's so hard to touch and hold and so hard to create. Um, what you have to do, though, and what we have to do as, as church leaders and as a church body is to at least make sure we're not putting up walls and inviting people to belong however they might want to belong or need to belong in that season of their life. I mean, can you imagine someone who told you that you're their best friend? How crushing it would be if you turned around to them, oh, no, we're not best friends. This and this and this is what a best friend is to me. How crushing would it be if you told someone who thought they who had a significant belonging to your community in some way it enhanced their life and their spirituality? You tell them, oh, no, sorry, that doesn't count. So we've got to make sure all types of belonging are open and free and inviting 
and we have intentional and clear ways for people to experience that. And so the next few weeks, I'll invite you on a journey with me to think about those different types of belonging and look through the scriptures at, at some more suggestions and teachings on community uh, in ways that um, we might um, perhaps um, move a little closer to the kingdom of God as a community and better prepare ourselves as the church continues to grow and we continue to get new people. Um, and it's, it's less easy to count on organic community just happening. Um, so I invite you on that journey with me. I hope you'll take it. I have so much to share with you. I'm really looking forward to it. So um, if you would, please pray with me. Father, we love you so much. We give thanks for your love for us. Um, uh, we give thanks for the possibility of community. Uh, we give thanks for the hope of a, a group of people who can live in, in love despite their differences and diversities who can flourish together with all their gifts brought to the table instead of flounder apart from each other um, I pray that, that you would create us to be Christians in a church that um, sees everybody around us through the eyes of Christ um, that sees what gifts they have to bring what gift does the child or, or adult with Down syndrome or autism have for us? How do they shape us into more Christ-like people than otherwise? How do we make sure we're not blocking chances off for us to connect with them or for them to connect with us? What ways maybe have we built up unwritten rules or regulations to how you belong or what the best kind of belonging is? that you'd expose that to us and, and help us really just to um, do our best to encourage growth in, in every type of belonging. Not force people into something that might not be ready for them in a season of their life. Not value one type of belonging over another. In um, all this, uh, we pray that, that we would be the city on the hill um, with no grandiose expectations uh, but with the small little steps of faithfulness um, that, that maybe 40 years from now we can sit down and swap stories and the memories and the things we went through together and the way it shaped us into Christ's likeness in a way that we never imagined we could get to. And that as the church continues on into the future, people would leave sensing that there's some pursuit family community there and that it's open to me and I know how and when and where I can find that and walk into that we do this because we want your glory to be seen Father because to not do this would be to fail to show the world how you have loved us and the gifts and blessings you are now ready to deliver to your people should they choose to follow you and find life in you we pray all of this in the name of our God, our Father, our Son, and our Holy Spirit. And it's in the triune of God's name that we pray. Amen.